handouts are in the back. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Those that are trickling in yet. We will be in Galatians chapter 5. And you'll want to turn there just because uh, I will read a portion of it that I do not have in your notes or on the slides in a minute. So if you got your Bible, Galatians chapter 5. When I am teaching in here, which looks like it's going to be about once a month or so, uh, we'll be looking at the fruits, fruit of the Spirit, the multifaceted fruit of the Spirit, right? And so we'll look at Galatians 5 together, uh, verses 22 through 23, and then obviously we'll talk about love today and what the Bible has to say about it. Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. So, as you can expect, we're going to go through, eventually, together, all of those. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith, meekness, and temperance. Uh, today, we'll just look at love. The fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's fruit that comes from God himself. It's fruit that's produced in us that is evidence that we are indeed connected to the vine. Jesus said in John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Verse 5, he says, I am the true vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me... You can do nothing. So the fruit of the Spirit is that fruit which is produced through our connection to Christ by the Spirit of God. Thank you guys in the back for running that for me. I appreciate it. So look at with me, this is not in the slides or in your notes, but Galatians 5 there, back up a little bit to verses 16 through 23, which we've already read, where Paul writes to the church in Galatia, he says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you there before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So Paul in Galatians 5 is contrasting the fruit of the Spirit with the deeds of the flesh, right? The deeds of the flesh are done through a person's own efforts. Whether he's saved or unsaved, it's that which is produced uh, by the person himself, but the fruit of the Spirit is something that 
God produces in the lives of those that belong to Christ through faith in Christ. It's not something that we can gin up on our own. I'm just going to try really hard, and then I'm going to produce these fruits myself in my life. Uh, No, they're not the deeds of the flesh. It's not something that we can produce in our own efforts, uh, but it's from being led and walking in uh, the Spirit. So there's a very strong contrast here between the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The products of the flesh are plural, the deeds of the flesh. The product of the Spirit is singular. He says the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. The deeds of the flesh are, there's various deeds of the flesh, and they're all disgraceful. The fruit of the Spirit, singular, is multifaceted. There's many aspects of it that Paul describes. But the fruit of the Spirit is a singular result of the Spirit's work in our lives. And so if we're walking in the Spirit, if we're led by the Spirit, if we've crucified the flesh, we produce this fruit in our lives. And in this first outline this morning, we're going to look at the first aspect or the first facet of the fruit of the Spirit. Just as a diamond that's cut has many different facets, right? Many different angles to that diamond. So does the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. And so the first angle of it, the first facet we're going to look at is love. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love. We have a lot about love in the Bible. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John, I was listening to it as I was driving this week. There's a lot about love in the book of 1 John, right? It's a whole book dedicated to having love one for another. 1 John 4.16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So even in the book of 1 John, we find this, this truth that if we are in God and in fellowship with God and walking with God, What do we do? We produce like qualities and characteristics as God. So if we are truly walking in the light as he is in the light, uh, if we're truly uh, walking in love as he is in love, you know, that connection is there. That's the argument that John makes in 1 John. You can't say that you have love if you don't love your brother because God's love would be produced in your life if you truly are in Christ. And so there's that same argument in 1 John as Paul is making in Galatians 5. If we are walking in the Spirit, we will produce these things. 1 Peter 4 says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Charity is the word for love. For charity, love, shall cover the multitude of sins. So we're not supposed to just have love. We're supposed to have fervent charity fervent love among ourselves. If uh, you were back in Grand Rapids with me, I have a a deaf interpreter on the stage, and if I were to say that word fervent, he'd go like this, right? It's zealous. Uh, it's, it's, It's fervent love. And so we're to have that because we are in Christ. So whether you're young or old, rich or poor, uh, we all need and cry out for love. Even the world in their uh, misguided efforts are seeking for love. For example, a woman by the name of Madeline Mary O'Hare, who was the founder of American Atheists, 
She vanished in 1995, and when they found her diaries, they found that she often wrote in her diaries, somewhere, somebody, please love me. She didn't believe in God, but she still longed to be loved. So even the world and their misguided efforts are looking for deep, real, genuine love. So what is the meaning of love then? The meaning of love. There's a couple of ways that we can define love. We can define it in language. You've probably heard this before. The word that he uses for love here is agape. Uh, there's several different words for love in Greek. Uh, a lot of emphasis has been placed on this by preachers in the past. This is just the word that refers to strong, sacrificial love. There's agape love, there's brotherly love, and there's that, you know, uh, there's that emotional uh, love. But agape love is that deliberate effort made with God's help to seek the best for others, right? It's concerned with others, uh, even if others are seeking the worst for us, agape love seeks the best for others. What's a good example of agape love? It's the mother that gets out of bed at 3 a.m. to help her sick child, not because she wants to. I guarantee you she does not. I can speak from experience. Why does a mother do that? Well, she loves her children. She's made a commitment. She wants what's best for her children. And so that agape love is the effort that goes into showing that commitment and love to her children. She, she loves because she wants the best for the other. So it's defined in language here in this passage. It's agape love. We can also find love defined in Scripture. The Bible has a lot to say about love. So what does it say? Well, it says that God himself is love. One of the defining traits of Almighty God is his love. 1 John 4, 8, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. John says, listen, if you don't have love for others, you must not know God very well. Because if you truly knew your heavenly father, you would reflect his characteristics and his character traits, and God himself is love. God is love. God's love also is everlasting. It didn't have a beginning and an end. First, uh, first Jeremiah. No, there's only one. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. The word everlasting can be literally uh, taken to mean from vanishing point to vanishing point. It's something that we could meditate on for years and never quite come to understand that God has loved us with an everlasting love. There was no beginning to it. There will be no end to it. And that's something that we just cannot wrap our minds around. God's love for us reaches from vanishing point to vanishing point beyond eternity is the, the, the breadth of God's love. John 13, verse 1, Jesus says, when he knew that his hour would come, 
It says, John 13, verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. So even Jesus in his work on earth during his earthly ministry and going to the cross, he exemplified God's love in that he loved his disciples to the very end. It was a lasting, uh, everlasting love. Emotional love wears off. It just does, right? Emotional love wears off. A husband was coming out of anesthesia after a series of tests and surgeries in the hospital, and his faithful wife was sitting at the bedside when his eyes fluttered open. And he looked at her and muttered groggily, You are beautiful. Well, flattered, the wife stayed by his side, and later he woke up again and he said, You're cute. And she said, what happened to beautiful? The drugs are wearing off. (laughs) Emotional love is fleeting, right? Well, God doesn't have emotional love for us. He has everlasting love. It's far beyond a warm feeling inside. It's been there since before the foundation of the world. So biblical love is much different than uh, the world's concept of love. The meaning of love, think about the message of love that we have from Scripture. We're given a deep dive into love in 1 Corinthians 13, which if you've been at any weddings, you've probably heard, uh, read there in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul's talking about the importance, the supremacy of Christian love. He says in verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, And have not charity or love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, just noise, no profit in it. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it it profiteth me nothing. Charity, love, suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they, there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. But charity, charity is everlasting. Love is everlasting. Someone once said that God knows that our relationships are more important than our accomplishments, and he challenges us to grow in his love. Our relationships are more important than our accomplishments, and so God challenges us to grow in love. Notice from uh, this 1 Corinthians passage, the helpfulness of biblical love. The helpfulness of biblical love. Paul illustrates for us the nature of love in that, first of all, love is patient. It's slow to anger. It's patient. The word patient here carries with it the meaning of it takes a long time to boil. It takes a long time to boil. How long does it take for you to boil over? 
It's slow to anger. Love practices being patient. And then he says it suffereth long. It's a reference to having patience with people. Love is patient. It, it puts up with a lot. It suffers a long time. Someone wrote, to dwell, with those, uh, to, to dwell above with those we love, oh, that will be glory. To dwell below with those we know, well, that's another story. Right? <laughs> Charity is patient. It suffereth love. People are people, and they need uh, some patience. A woman said, my husband is temperamental. He's 90% temper and 10% mental. Charity suffereth long. It takes a long time to boil over. We have some great examples in Scripture of those that had true, godly, patient love in the midst of some pretty trying circumstances. For example, the uh, example of Stephen in Acts 7, which we'll get to eventually on Sunday mornings, by the way. In Acts 7, it says in verse 59, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. If you study out the passage, if you're here the day that we do, you'll find they literally chased Stephen down before they stoned him. They pursued him. And as they are stoning him, killing him, he says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He, he cared for them. He loved them. He was concerned for their souls while they were killing him. Romans 12, verse 17 challenges us, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Love is patient. President Lincoln had an early political rival named Edwin Stanton. Stanton called Lincoln the original gorilla. When Lincoln was elected president, he chose Stanton to be a secretary of war. Someone asked Lincoln why he chose Stanton, and he replied, because he's the best man for the job. At Lincoln's funeral, Stanton said, Here lies the greatest leader the world has ever known. Lincoln's non-retaliatory patient spirit won the heart of his enemy. As a matter of fact, if you study the life of Lincoln, you'll find that he was a very patient, humble man. In the face of criticism, in the face of all sorts of things. I don't remember who exactly it was that criticized him. Someone brought it to Lincoln's attention and Lincoln says, well, he's right about many things. He's probably right about that too. Love is patient. Love is also kind. Just as patience will endure, will take anything from others, kindness will give anything to others. So biblical love takes, it endures, but kindness will also give. To be kind means to be useful. It means to be serving. It means to be gracious. 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, brethren, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. This is the kind of love that should characterize all of our relationships as Christians. It starts in the home. It extends to the church. It extends to other non-believers as well. We're to have compassion. That means we're to have sympathy for each other. We're to love as brethren. We're to show brotherly love for each other. We're to be pitiful. That 
word doesn't really ring the same in modern English, but it means to be tender-hearted. It means to have a heart full of pity for others. We're to be courteous. That's to be kind to others. All of those things describing the way we are to act towards those that are around us. Love is kind. And that doesn't happen automatically. And then think about not only the helpfulness of biblical love, but the humility of biblical love from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love, the humility of biblical love, love is not jealous. Love is not jealous. Love is not envious against someone. Love and envy, they cancel each other out. Love and envy cancel each other out. We all face the temptation to be envious when somebody gets something a little bit better than what we have. Maybe the recognition that we never get. Or the time, or the, you know, you, you fill in the blank. We're all tempted to envy someone else when they receive something that we don't. If we act in the spirit of love, we will be genuinely glad for someone who is successful or recognized. We don't resent them. Envy, jealousy, is not a small sin. Think of Cain. Hebrews tells us that for envy, Cain killed his brother. Right? Envy, uh, jealousy, led Cain to murder his brother Abel, who did nothing wrong. And so envy is not a small thing. And love is not jealous. Proverbs 27, verse 4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? It's very difficult to win the heart of someone who is envious. Saul was envious of David, King Saul. Uh, they were marching through the streets, and the gals were competing one another with one another in song. And one side said, Saul has slain his thousands. And the other side said, but David has slain his ten thousands. And Saul said, well, might as well give him the kingdom. It was just a song, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. And really, because David was uh, serving Saul as the captain of his army, David's successes were Saul's successes. But Saul was envious, jealous over that to the point of wanting to kill David. What was the opposite of that? The opposite of that envy was the love that Saul's son Jonathan had for David. If Jonathan could have, he would have given David the kingdom. He loved David. And he was humble, even though he was the son of the king. He was not envious of David. And I love that. You can read that in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Love is not jealous because it's humble. Love also doesn't brag. Love does not brag. It does not talk conceitedly. It does not parade its accomplishments. What is bragging, boasting? It's trying to make others envious of what you have. Adrian Rogers, Rogers tells about a man who bragged that he had cut off the tail of a man-eating lion with his pocket knife. Someone piped up and said, why didn't, it, why didn't you cut off the lion's head? And the man sheepishly replied, somebody had done that already. <laughs> he cut off the tail of the lion after it was already dead. wasn't near as much of an accomplishment as he made it out to be. But love does not brag. 
I challenge you to, uh, to just have some self-awareness sometime. When somebody is telling you a story or something that happened to them, just count in your head how many times you want to jump in and say, but what, you want to know what happened to me? Right? How hard is it to keep your mouth shut and let them talk about themselves without jumping in and saying, well, guess what happened to me? Guess, here's my story. And try to one-up each other like that. Love does not brag. That takes work. Love is not arrogant. It's not puffed up. It's not puffed up. 1 Corinthians 4 says in verse 18, Now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. There were some arrogant folks in the Corinthian church. They were not helping the church. They were hindering it. They were undermining the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Someone said, arrogance is big-headed, but love is big-hearted. Love is not arrogant. It is not puffed up. The missionary, William Carey, was a missionary to India who knew 23 languages and dialects and translated scripture into many of them. He was at a dinner in England when he was asked, I understand that you were once a shoemaker. To which Carey humbly replied, Oh no, I was never a shoemaker. I was just the shoemaker's assistant. <laughs> Love is not arrogant. It's not puffed up. It does not brag. It's not jealous. It's humble. The humility of biblical love, the helpfulness of biblical love. Think of also the holiness of biblical love. Verse 5, love does not behave unseemly. It does not behave unseemly. That means unbecomingly or rudely. The Corinthians were experts in unbecoming behavior. <laughs> That's what a lot of 1 Corinthians is about. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 21 says, For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and the other is drunken. The church services, the Lord's Supper in the Corinthian church, uh, was unseemly. It was rude. But love is gracious. Love does not behave itself gracelessly, but graciously. It's not unseemly. It's not rude. It's not unbecoming. Love also does not seek its own. It does not seek its own. Philippians 2.4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That does not mean be nosy or a busybody, checking up on other people all the time. No, that means think about the needs of others, not just the needs of yourself. There was a deacon in my church who had a theory. He's a good man. And he went through some personal struggles of his own. Uh, two of his children passed away uh, because of, of uh, diseases that they had <clears throat> from birth. And he had a theory. He was a good man. He was not bitter or anything about it. He just observed that the limits of everyone's prayers were about two weeks. That at you know, when you're going through a trial and it comes up before the church, everybody's really concerned and really uh, empathetic and prayerful for about two weeks, and then it tapers off. It takes work 
to think of others. Why? Because our lives are busy. We have our own issues and our own problems, right? We have our own bills to pay. We have our own families to worry about. We have uh, all sorts of things going on in our own life. It's difficult. It takes real effort and love for others to think of them, to think of them. Just think back in your own mind how much it stands out to you when someone made a real conscience effort to think of you, right? When they ask you out of the blue about your family or something that you've had going on, when they send you a note, when they call you on the phone, how much of an impression does it make just because they thought of you? Why does that make such an impression on us? Because it's not natural. (laughs) We think of ourselves. That's just the way we are. Years ago, the Salvation Army was holding an international convention, and their founder, General William Booth, could not attend because of physical weakness. And so he cabled, telegraphed, his convention message to them, and it was just one word, others. Others. Love does not seek its own. Love is also not easily provoked. It's not easily aroused to anger, not easily provoked. Who is the ultimate example of someone who was not easily provoked? Well, Christ, of course, and we are to be Christ-like in our responses. 1 Peter 2.23 says that Jesus, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. It's not easy to keep your mouth shut when somebody is slandering you or lying about you or saying all sorts of terrible things against you, but Jesus just took it. And Pilate marveled. And Jesus, even to Pilate, told him this truth that we find here in 1 Peter 2. Pilate says, Answerest thou nothing? Knowest thou that I have the power to crucify thee or to set thee free? And Jesus says what? You have no power except is given to you from my Father. Christ committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. When he was reviled, insulted, slandered, he reviled not again. Boy, I... What self-control he had. Jesus literally knew everything that every one of his accusers had ever done, right? He could have ruined every single one of them by just opening his mouth. But he didn't. He didn't. He was not aroused to anger. There's the song, he could have called 10,000 angels. That's what he told Peter to destroy the world and set him free, but he died alone for you and me. He, When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Why? Because he loved us and came to accomplish our redemption. And if he had injustice and righteous anger fought back, the cross would have not happened. And love is not easily provoked. Love also does not harbor evil. It doesn't harbor evil. It does not keep records on evil. It's not 
a scorekeeper. You're either a scorekeeper or a grace giver. Which one are you? In your interactions with people, in your interactions with your spouse, with your family, with your siblings, with your coworkers, with your boss, uh, with the pastors, you name it, you're either a grace giver or a scorekeeper. There he goes again. He did it again, right? That's a scorekeeper. Love does not keep records on evil. Love thinketh no evil. Thinks only the best of people, and that takes work too. The meaning of love, the, man, the message of love. What about the manifestation of biblical love? The manifestation of biblical love. What does it look like? I don't know who wrote this, but somebody said, Christians should be God's love with skin on. We should be walking embodiments of God's love, right? So how is our love displayed? Well, our love is displayed through giving. You can give your time. You can give your time. There was a teenage boy. He was really sick and tired of the routine at bedtime. Every night at bedtime, his little sister would crawl up into his lap and say, read me a story. And he was tired of that. And so he had an ingenious idea and recorded several of her favorite stories. And he told her, now you can hear your stories anytime you want. Isn't that great? And she looked at the radio for a minute and said, no, it doesn't have a lap. Give your time. Give your time. It was a foreigner who observed about Americans. Every American has a watch, but none of them have the time. Isn't that true? We're so busy. Every American has a watch, but none of them have the time. Love displayed is giving others your time. Give your communication also. Give your communication also. 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, brethren, I've quoted this several times, but be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, be sympathetic towards others, be tender-hearted towards others, show brotherly love to other people, especially to Christians, be full of pity for others, be kind and friendly to others. None of these things can be communicated telepathically, right? You have to open your mouth. You have to act in order to be sympathetic, tender-hearted, show brotherly love, show pity, be kind and be friendly. You have to give your communication. None of those things are automatic and none of those things can be done without opening your mouth or bodily language, whatever you want to call it. Give your communication. Then also give your forgiveness. Our love is displayed through giving. This is in 1 John 4, but he says in verse 20, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. He doesn't pull any punches. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So many other verses uh, that we could quote on this, but it's been kind of hammered pretty well lately in church. 
give your forgiveness. It's an act of love. Our love is displayed through giving. How was God's love displayed? Through giving. God's love was displayed for all eternity through an act of giving. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you can apply those same three things, your time, uh, your communication, and your forgiveness to Christ, right? He gave his time. He literally stepped into time for us. Meditate on that sometime, that the God of all the universe who is outside the bounds of time and creation and everything, stepped into time and became a man and went through all of that for us. He gave his time. He gave his communication. How much did Christ communicate to us? He's the word, right? He showed us the Father. I think it was Philip. Was it Philip that said, Lord, show us the Father and it will suffice us? And he said, how long have you been with me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He communicated to us God's love, and he also gave us forgiveness. We claim that forgiveness every single day. He forgave us everything, and there's no limit to his forgiveness if we'll receive it in faith. That's how God displayed his love, through giving. So Paul begins his exhortation on the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians and in Corinthians, and we can apply it to ourselves today, Christ put such an emphasis on love as a motivator for action that he said in John 13 that the whole world will know that we are his disciples if we have love one for another. The way we treat each other as believers in the church shows Christ to the world. And I'm not talking about, you know, the shallow buzzword type of stuff. What really testifies to the world is the way we act and what we do and what we say. And as individual believers and as a church, it should be said of us that we love each other and we so love the world that we take the gospel to the world also. The fruit of the Spirit, it's love. That's just the first facet of the fruit of the Spirit, and there's much more to come. Father, we thank you for your word, and we do pray that you would produce this love in us. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you sent your son, Christ Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins because of your love, that nothing can separate us from that love. But God, it takes the Spirit in us to produce that love, especially towards others. So, Lord, we just pray that this week especially, that we would walk in the Spirit, that we would show your love to those that you've placed around us, that we would have the impact that you desire us to have, that we would have love and patience towards each other, especially as fellow believers, and that we would glorify you and your Son, whose name we pray. Amen.